Hello and welcome to episode 120 of the Batflip Crazy podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Today's show is an exciting one. One of my favorite uh, fantasy baseball analysts, Vlad Sedler. Uh, is on the show, a long interview with him where we cover a range of topics including Real Muto Gate. If you don't know what Real Muto Gate is, you are about to find out. Uh, we also talk about uh, KDS or Kentucky Derby style draft order selection strategy and preferences. We talk roster and rotation construction. And we also uh, talk about Vlad's approach to fab, which has given him the nickname of fab whisper because of the fab efficiency um, of his uh, of his fab bids. So just a, a really terrific program. It was awesome to talk to Vlad. I have mentioned this before on Twitter, but Vlad is pretty much responsible for about half of my Twitter followers because I've gotten uh, a couple uh, Roto Gut bumps. He is at Roto Gut on Twitter or Vlad uh, bumps, uh, which is when he promotes you on Twitter and then the whole world uh, uh, follows you on Twitter, which is, which is definitely awesome. So very thankful to Vlad for that and for joining me on the program. Really exciting. As usual, you can reach me on Twitter at batflipcrazy. If you have not already, uh, please do give, uh, the podcast a five-star rating and review on iTunes. If you do like it, if you like this interview, if you like the program, I've mentioned it, we are on the road to 200 reviews and we are gaining quickly we're at 187 would love your help in getting to that 200 marker it would be awesome we'll throw some sort of party i don't know what we'll do but it'll be a lot of fun but without further ado here is the interview with vlad sedler hope you enjoy this let's get this party started Welcome to the Batfoot Crazy Podcast, Vlad. How are you doing today? Man, I'm doing amazing. I've been looking for this, uh, forward to this podcast uh, to record with you for, for a very long time. Uh, you know, been, been a fan of yours and, uh, and your style. And, and obviously, you and I met um, online by us being in the same main event league where you kind of surprised me and blew me away. I'm like, who's this Batfoot Crazy guy? Just comes in and just crushes our main event league. So, uh, you know, on the radar and, and happy to be on the pod with you. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, you are, you are being very kind. You, uh, everybody gets lucky, lucky every once in a while. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I really appreciate it. And I know I've mentioned on Twitter before, but I've gotten the, uh, uh, Vlad as everybody who is listening to this podcast knows is at Roto gut on Twitter. And he has given me, he's famous for his, uh, the Roto bump, the Roto gut bump, which is, you know, Vlad, tweeting out that you're somebody who you should, who should be followed. And I literally, the first time I think I got like 500 extra followers. And then this last time, pretty much half of my followers came through as a result of, of your generosity. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. And you know what, it's, it, this is, it, it's such a great time to be a fantasy baseball player, you know, a, a fan of the game, just, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of content out there to consume, but people kind of, they know where, where the good stuff is. And so, you know, it, it just, you know, some of these things just sort of happen naturally. People gravitate to people that are putting out good information out there. So, you know, so far, so good. Definitely. Yeah. And so you uh, are an analyst and writer over at uh, Fantasy Guru. And you also, I mean, you've been playing NFBC 
events uh, for a long time now. You're an, uh, a very accomplished player um, in that format and are kind of known in the NFBC universe. And I think also one reason why I'm really excited to have you on the pod is that a lot of folks struggle with fab and you are known as the fab whisperer because of the efficiency of your fab bids. And so I am, uh, I'm really excited to have you have an opportunity to share with the listeners, you know, and myself, like some of the things that we can be learning and thinking about um, as we move forward. And I know before we get into the big topic of the evening, which is, of course, Real Muto Gate, um, and we're getting questions online about what Real Muto Gate is. Um, I hear that you have a promo for listeners of the podcast this evening. Yeah, so it's actually specific for people that are listening to the podcast today. Uh, so our, as you know, uh, Fantasy Guru, we're um, uh, a trio of companies, one of which is the the DFS site, Elite Fantasy, and another is Elite Sports Betting. And so, as we know, uh, all of the strides that uh, betting and, and gambling has made uh, you know, since the Supreme Court reversal and, and starting to open up in a lot of states, um, our site's just been been do- doing really well over there, EliteSportsBetting.com, and uh, just a great set of analysts for different types of sports. A lot of people winning uh, tons of money over there, uh, you know, Mad Lab with MMA and football, hockey, baseball, you name it. And so specifically for this podcast, if you go on there uh, to EliteSportsBetting.com slash free week uh, and just enter the pom- promo code BATFLIPGUT, uh, lowercase, uppercase, doesn't matter. Batflip gut is the promo code. You'll get a free week access uh, for the for the VIP uh, site. So VIP access, uh, elitesportsbetting.com slash free week. Nice. We love we love to give uh, people free stuff on the podcast. Um, and also a batflip gut does not sound that exciting. Um, <laughs> it sounds like uh, when you've had a terrible meal or something like that. But um, definitely uh, take advantage of, of that promo and really appreciate you offering that to folks who are listening to the podcast. Yeah, let's 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 get into the nitty-gritty. All right. So, the first topic we are going to give the people what they want, and that is Real Muto Gate. Uh, so a few weeks ago, you tweeted out, "Friends don't let friends draft Real Muto in the 4th round." And so I have been kind of a staunch proponent of JT Real Muto throughout uh, the preseason and I've been drafting him as early as the 3-4 turn. Um, and so, of course, people like tag me into the conversation and, and uh, we're not actually in any type of fight because I think we respect each other as, as players a lot. And also, I think, um, I hope that each of us have a good rationale behind why we have our particular uh, position. And I know that I've been fortunate enough to read um, your catcher strategy piece um, that, you, that you wrote, which I thought was, was excellent. Um, and so let's, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about, you know, that tweet and then also just your general approach to the catcher position. Cause I feel like a lot of people think of it as an afterthought, um, but there's a ton of strategy that goes into it. So we'd love to hear it. Yeah. Well, so first of all, that was, it was kind of a tongue in cheek tweet and it was kind of a, uh, what happens a lot of times is I'll just be, I'll be driving or I'll just be sitting there and just something pops into my head. And for some reason, like, that statement did and 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 really there wasn't anything behind it and some you know people are always looking for for twitter beefs here you know <laughs> not going to find one here uh you know i respect everyone's different style and that's the beauty of it is there really are so many ways to skin the fantasy baseball cat and you know i'm not saying at all that drafting real muto in the fourth round is is wrong um and, and, and it, it, to be honest it really was sort of a just a funny sort of tongue-in-cheek tweet just something that popped in my mind 
Um, but for me, it, it just comes down to uh, just a specific philosophy I've had and just something that's worked for me is that catcher is just one of those positions that I, I don't necessarily want to spend early draft capital on. Uh, you know, like the other day I had, it was like my first of eight drafts where I, I took a cat at the top three catcher. It was just, you know, Gary Sanchez had fallen, it was like pick hundred and, and I took him there. And for some reason, maybe it's just a certain cover level everyone has, but I didn't really feel comfortable with my roster construction sort of, you know, threw things off and maybe I'm a little bit too much of a creature of habit. Um, if it's this one catcher league, you know, I have no problem punting in full or, you know, maybe grabbing a guy later. Uh, two, two catcher leagues, which is like what I play most of um, in NFBC, is what I'll usually do is try to grab a guy in the middle of the pack, like somebody who I think could be a, a top five guy. And then usually I'll save a later pick for somebody that I believe is underpriced. You know, um, it could be Jason Castro this year for the Angels, um, you know, sort of knowing at that point that uh, this is a pick where I, you know, might be a certain category I'm looking for. But with catchers, I, I just what I don't want to do is is grab guys that are going to drain my batting average, even if it is less at bats. Um, and then usually that second catcher, I'll sometimes just end up streaming during the course of the season. Um, but literally, it just comes down to the fact for me that um, that catchers just get less plate appearances, accumulate less good plate appearances, and usually hitting near the bottom of the lineups and. You know, um, 2016, for example, was a was a good example of that where, you know, I kind of did my own projections and a couple of guys who were being drafted around like, you know, it was Wilson Ramos. He was like 13th or 14th ranked catcher. Grandal was like 19th. And when I did my projections, I'm like, these guys are like top seven, top eight for me. So I'm not going to take them necessarily at ADP, but I like, you know, maybe to grab them a couple rounds before they go. And they ended up both being top five guys. And so obviously that's not going to happen every year, but that's just what it is. Just a, you know, me specifically, um, you know, it not necessarily is the correct way. It just happens to be the way that I do it. Yeah, definitely. And I love, I love what you said at the beginning there too, about like, there's so many different ways to um, attack the position, you know, and just to so many different strategies that you can use to win in fantasy baseball. And I know I mentioned that a lot on, on, on Twitter. Right. And I, I genuinely mean that, like I have a particular strategy that I'm employing this year because I feel like it can be effective in the leagues that I play, which is generally NFBC, but like at the same time, there are people who are going to use vastly different strategies and win and likely be better than I am um, in a lot of instances. And with, with Real Muto, the reason why I've always, I, I've kind of been a fan, a fan of him just because he sticks out. And I think you mentioned this in your article too, like he sticks out as kind of the best catcher pretty clearly this year. And as you mentioned, like batting average is such a drain when it comes to the catcher position generally. And so the fact that he's able to contribute that in addition to the power, the counting stats, some of the plate appearances, not as good as other hitters that you're going to going to draft in terms of plate appearances. And then a little bit of speed for me just gives him that much more value above other catchers. And so I feel kind of comfortable going with him just in two catcher leagues, I think is where I'm really, um, really focused on that. And so, but I think you're, you're right on, right? There's like different ways that you can really attack the position. And one of the things that I've just been trying to do is there's so many good people who are writing and sharing information on Twitter. I know Ariel Cohen came out with an article recently where a lot of times we think about catchers as being super volatile, but he's actually shown that over the last couple of years, the projections of, catchers are the, the preseason projections and what they actually produce is actually um, closer. And Jeff Zimmerman had similar research. And like, just based on that, the fact that 
they're able to return a lot of the value that you're actually paying for them in drafts. Like, I think that actually makes them pretty safe. And it actually make me, made me feel a little bit better about waiting a little bit because I agree with you. There are some guys that can produce some value there in the middle rounds. That's not to say I won't hop on Real Muto in the fourth round if he's available. Um, and I kind of like the way that my team build is happening so far. But I definitely see that a lot of people have been successful waiting and really just attacking value as opposed to being uh, specifically tuned into one catcher in particular. Yeah. And you know, he's, he's been pretty consistent in the batting average. It's uh, you know, these days, 275 to, to, to 278, which is where he's been over the last three seasons consistently within that range is, it, it, you know, it's, it, it's decent these days. Um, especially if you're getting some, some, some batting average guys, some Mike, Mike Brantley guys type later, and you're not sucking your team dry with a lot of the, uh, you know, old school Adam Dunn types, uh, the Mike Zaninos that'll really hurt you uh, in your batting yeah. average. But he had that one season in his second full season in 2016 with the Marlins where he hit over 300. And I do think he has that capability to, to put up a, a 290 plus. He does have decent plate discipline. Uh, and the other thing is I kind of feel some positive aggression hitting the, heading the way of the Phillies. They just – you know, remember, remember us this time last year. I mean, so many of us were, were so invested on that offense, like Bryce Harper just come along. Like we were in on, maybe not you, but uh, in on like Nick Pavetta on the pitching side. <laughs> and just so many, uh, you know, there was so much to like about that team. And they basically failed across the board. Like all those guys, like none of them reached values, you know, uh, Hoskins and I mean, you name it on that team. And so I feel a little bit of positive regression for this offense. Uh, I obviously, I think if anyone is going to be able to hit, a, you know, knocking a hundred runs this year, you know, it's going to be Real Muto or Gary Sanchez if he can stay healthy for the full year. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, and I think that's what – that it is going to be interesting. I mean, the Phillies have a good offense. They're getting McCutcheon back. Hoskins is obviously a guy who people – you know, I think people either kind of love him or hate him this year. But, um, you know, he was injured towards the end of last year, and I think there, there's definitely some positive regression heading that lineup's way. And if he can play consistently – I mean, that's the key, I think, is he's one of the catchers that if he's healthy, he will put up over 500 plate appearances. And so I really do think that there is um, there is some good good value there, most definitely. But if you do miss out on him, you're certainly not um, you're certainly not doomed. I will say yeah. that much. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, we're we'll, we're going to talk about it a little later, I'm sure, um, about the, you know, the, churn, the churning and burning strategy and, and not holding on to guys for too long. But there were a lot of people last year that came up on a Mitch Garver uh, in, in fab or a Christian Vasquez, who was a top five guy. And so that's one of the things I'm always looking is I'm not always correct. I don't always nail them, but I'm looking for those guys like who can really step up and, and, and be that guy to take it, you know, take it to the next level. Maybe isn't a good situation on an AL team where he, where he is hitting in the middle of the lineup, perhaps, um, you know, uh, Francisco Mejia comes to mind. Um, unfortunately he's on San Diego where he's most likely going to be hitting eighth in front of the pitcher, not ideal, but he was a great prospect with Cleveland. I mean, he's, he's pretty good. James McCann, I feel is being completely underrated. I feel like he's going to get time as, as a DH, uh, and Grandall's already a little bit hurt. And this is somebody that isn't even really being drafted in 12 teamers at all. I picked him up in the 30th round on a couple of teams and Hey, if it doesn't work out, he's not getting the playing time. I'll just go ahead and burn them and turn them for the next guy. But there's just so many guys later on that I feel like, you know, as long as we're staying away from the Pittsburgh situation and you're not streaming Jacob Stallings and Luke Mayle, then I think we should be okay. <laughs> there you go. That that was actually my strategy heading into this year. I was just going to draft those two. Is yeah. a two-catcher league? Is that a, is that a bad route to go? 
Oh yeah, you're all set. I mean, you get all the Pittsburgh catcher stats. Yeah, totally. Exactly. <laughs> if you're in my drafts, Toby, please, please, please do that. Um, so <laughs> one thing that actually happened earlier today was was uh, the KDS um, for TGFBI. What what did you end up uh, grabbing there? So I got the 14th pick. Um, you know, I did stick to maybe seeing if I can get a one, two or three pick in the beginning. I was cool with that, but I think yeah, I kind of switch it up. If this was my only team, I don't know if 14 would be what I would go for, but I did put 14, I believe is like my sixth KDS option. Um, and I think just for this draft, it being a 15 teamer, I felt a little bit more comfortable drafting towards the end and grabbing a couple of studs in the top 20. Uh, as opposed to kind of sticking in the middle and, you know, going with the Lindors and Coles of the world and figuring out from there. So I just kind of feel comfortable at the end and, you know, hopefully it works out for me. Definitely. Yeah. I ended up with, with 13. Um, so I'm right there with you towards the, uh, towards the turn there. So it should be interesting. And um, you know, you've been playing NFBC a long time. And I think for folks who are new to NFBC or don't haven't done um, KDS, which stands for Kentucky Derby style, uh, draft order selection. So where you actually get to choose and order, you know, uh, what draft pick you want. Um, and then it's randomly selected the order and then you get given your draft, uh, your draft pick. Um, there's a lot of strategy that's involved in that. Can you share a little bit about, you know, your approach generally to KDS and then this year, whether you have any particular like preference or things that you're thinking about uh, with the specific guys who are going in the first few rounds? So for me, it's it's really all about sort of mapping out and, and having an idea of where, what sort of range I feel comfortable in. Do I want to draft you know early, middle, late, or some sort of somewhere in between? And I usually start in, um, usually I start in January drafting those 50 round draft and holds. But uh, for, for some reason, right around Thanksgiving, I started my first one. So now instead of just having my usual two uh, draft champion leagues, I, I ended up with uh, five of them. And it's a, and I, and I tried sitting KDS in different places to really get a feel for where I feel comfortable drafting at this year. And after the, you know, certain amount of picks after the first few rounds, it, it really doesn't matter, but it really does for those early rounds. And so, um, you know, I think a big mistake that people make is thinking too much of KDS in terms of who their first rounders are going to be. And, um, I know a lot of people obviously figured this out, but you kind of have to think the bigger picture, like who are, who's my base going to be on my team? Who are going to be my first four to five, even six players and being able to sort of map out if you know that you're going to have the 14th pick, um, sort of having your, your plan A, plan B, plan C, and having an idea of who you want in those orders. So one, one of the things I would always do now I do it on Excel, whatever, but I was just on paper. I, I still like to use paper. Sometimes I would, basically draw out the, uh, the snake, um, you know, sort of the draft board of the, the top 48 or the top 60, you know, 12 or 15 teamer, and basically put the guys approximately where I think they might be getting drafted and kind of bold my targets. And then when I look at that chart and see where all my bold is coming from, I kind of have an idea of, you know, of what I like and who I like. And if I'm noticing that, you know, you can even have different color codes or however you do it, but like, you know, if, if it's a 15 teamer and I notice like, man, I really like Fernando Tatis and Jose Ramirez and Freddie Freeman and Arnado just as much as this guy, as much as a Lindor or Trey Turner, like at eight, um, you want to do that, but for like several rounds. So you want to sort of map it out how it looks these first three guys from pick one versus, you know, pick seven versus pick 15 and then figuring out where your best spot is. 
Um, and then, of course, if you're an NFBC, you have to factor in the whole uh, starting pitcher push. The fact that when you're looking at ADP now, uh, pitchers are going to be pushed up even further. So, you know, if you are looking to get an early pick and you want one of the big three, Acuna, Trout, or Yelich, uh, and you know that you have to get a pitcher, you know, maybe you don't like the pitchers that are going there at 24, 25. You know, at that point, you know, Flaherty and uh, Bieber are already going there, but maybe at that point, Blake Snell or Strasburg will be going there. Um, are those the guys that you want, or do you feel more comfortable in the middle where maybe in the second round you can grab a Scherzer or things like that? So there's so many ways you can think about it and sort of map the planet, but mapping it out is for the first few rounds is very important. Yeah, definitely. I think that's uh, terrific advice because that really is like the foundation of your team. And I also, I love the tweet that you put out earlier today where you were talking about how, um, just to paraphrase it, like essentially the foundation that you build earlier on, you're actually thinking about those targets that you want to go after later on in drafts, right? In the mid rounds, as you think about that, because depending on your roster construction, right? Those players that you actually see as, as being maybe huge value generators because of the you know, the price that they're going at right now and the value that you're expecting to return, like they don't just fit into any team. You actually have to plan in advance and think about, you know, how you build a team that allows them to fit into your team, if that makes sense. Um, could you talk like a little bit about that? Because I just love that tweet that you put out. Yeah, it was just something that I, I kind of think about all the time. And, and it really struck me after, um, th there's so many things that I, that I kind of feel as a fantasy player that sometimes it's hard to uh, illustrate or, or put into words. And so when something just kind of strikes me, I, I just put it out there. Um, but basically, I, I basically am saying that uh, the you we're always able to kind of find those guys that we really feel strongly about. Like, you know, I, I know that if David Dahl is going to play 140 games, I mean, easier said than done, that he's going to be pretty damn good. And he was a 70th pick last year. And now he's going 150. That's a guy I want to get. Um, but I don't necessarily know I'm going to get him on, on every team or if it'll even fit or work for me at that point. Maybe I already have three or four outfielders uh, because of values that had fallen and it doesn't make sense for me to grab them. Um, where this all struck me is I was in a draft recently, a 12-team online championship, where I was drafting with a bunch of really good players. And one of the things I make sure not to do is let myself get too cocky. So I always want to want to stay humble and know that any one year can kick my ass and just kind of humble me and remind me that I need to always keep grinding. I always need to try to um, find edges and be better than others. But it was a really tough draft. Like I look back at that team. I'm like, damn, like this is, this was really tough. These guys forced me to make um, extremely tough decisions. Um, and so to find those guys, those mid round guys is one thing, but then to kind of build your roster in, in a way that you're actually getting them. Like I love Castellanos through eight teams. I have one share, you know, just hadn't worked out for me. So then I start thinking, do I really love him? And I don't know. There's just so many ways you, you bring to go with this. Yeah, definitely. And that's actually like a thing I feel like where there are certain players that you really like, but you don't end up with them on your team. And it does make you kind of think, okay, like what is, what is the reason this isn't happening? Like, is mm -hmm. it just, yeah. Is it a roster construction issue? Is it that like when you, when you really need to make that decision in that moment, like you just aren't comfortable enough? you know, with them. So maybe like revisiting them, but I think that strategy is, is just terrific. And it kind of lines up with something that, um, uh, Brian Slack, uh, said, I think on this pod, or he said somewhere that I remember, which is also knowing who your like very late round targets are going to be and which 
kind of uh, spots on your roster you feel comfortable leaving a little bit open later, you know, Mm -hmm. to be able to attack as well. And so it just makes you think that like, really, even before you make that first pick, you know, if you're, if you're looking at this, like you really need to be thinking about, um, and I think to your point about doing the DCs, like knowing the player pool is so important because you really need to understand how like your roster is being constructed at different points within the draft, even before you um, make that first pick. Cause if you're not aware of what's going to be able be, you know, available in the mid rounds that you really want or in the later rounds, like what you're probably going to be chasing, uh, then you might find yourself in, in a, in a difficult spot. Um, one question that um, I had is just, are you going to, are you, is there, do you have a different approach with something like TGFBI versus NFBC? Because I've been thinking about that a lot um, today with the news, you know, just getting the draft orders and really like thinking about, okay, like, you know, who are the players that I want? Do you think of TGFBI at all differently than NFBC? Cause you mentioned like the pitching run that happens early on, like, always in the main um, and in a lot of NFBC drafts, like do you approach those drafts differently at all because of, um, you know, your familiarity with the different formats? And this wasn't on our list, I know. So I'm kind of, yeah, it's, I try not to approach any draft differently as far as, you know, what I have, uh, um, I guess, invested in it. Um, Mm -hmm. To me, this is going to be a great test of uh, for my 15 teamers later and to see how I feel comfortable from, from this draft spot. And and if it is something that, um, you know, because I do notice I kind of end up gravitating towards the end sometimes, because I sometimes like to take the fall in value. I think it was like three years ago. um, uh, Scott Jones had a few other guys always, always make fun of me of how lucky I am. It was like (laughs) the one year where, where, where Paul Goldschmidt was like the, the clear, like fourth or fifth overall pick. And, um, I had the 13th pick. I didn't even dream about possibly getting him and he landed to me. And I was the only one in all those main events, um, in Vegas that day that ended up getting Goldschmidt. It just helped me uh, have an incredible base, uh, won my league and, and, um, you know, came, came, uh, up there for a while, came close to the overall. And, you know, sometimes things just kind of fall that way for you. Um, but with TGFBI, I mean, no, it's, it's not really going to be any different. And I'm going to have to want to like poker, feel the room out, you know, like the thing about being an NFBC, you have a familiarity with, with certain players and, and certain styles. Uh, you know, there's a guy, Eric Heberlig, uh, the professor out, out in Virginia. Um, sorry if I added what you do, Eric, if you're listening. Um, he, drafts, <laughs> he also like, has like 70 teams. So you're probably well, in a league with him. <laughs> that's the thing. He's in every single online championship that I'm in that he's got a specific strategy where, um, I almost kind of know what picks are coming. I've been in his drafts for so many years and I know his style and he goes for extreme categories and extreme, uh, uh, stats and, you know, and he switches it up every draft. He's really kind of going for it. And, you know, I appreciate it. Um, how he manages his fab is a, is a whole different story. I mean, you know, God bless him. And, um, he did win the, on, uh, the overall a few years ago, uh, he landed on, spent all this fab on Charlie Blackman on his breakout year and, mm-hmm. and K-Rod and his uh, Francisco Rodriguez and his uh, saves uh, record year. And he won it all. He took it down. And so, you know, props to him, but um, you know, I'm not going to change my strategy, but I'm going to feel the room out. Like I know Ryan Bloomfield from HQ is going to be in there and he's a good drafter. I don't know if I'm drifting right next to him or close to him, but you know, you kind of feel it out. You start to see pitchers going and then you have to decide wait, you don't panic and be like, okay, well now I'm jumping on a pitcher now. And now you think, Hmm, maybe I got a zag when these guys are zigging. Uh, and then, you know, I'll grab a couple of my pitchers later and just hit the value with the hitter. So every draft is its own animal and just based on who's in the room. 
Definitely. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's challenging because I feel like in, in NFBC, you know, it's not that you know exactly what to expect, right? There are instances where there's fallen value and things like that, but you generally know that pitching is going to get pitched up, get pushed up and there's going to be a priority on that. And so it's challenging. Like I'm in, uh, in my TGFBI league, um, I'm right next to drafting right next to Sammy Reed. Um, and then I don't, I'm not as familiar with some of the other guys in the league. And so I'm not really sure, especially the guys close to me, like what their particular um, strategy might be or whom they might be looking at. And it makes it challenging to think like um, even 13 picks in the draft, I feel like there's so many different guys that might be available um, where I'm drafting. So I was just curious at, uh, how, you, how you'd been thinking about that. Poor Sammy's um, not going to be getting uh, any Juan Soto there, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no JT Realmuto for Sammy either. No, right? no. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, awesome. Um, so uh, we, we touched on it a bunch. Like um, roster construction is so important. And actually, like I heard, um, I know a friend of yours, um, uh, Matt Modica, um, and I met Matt in, in First Pitch Arizona, great guy. Um, he talked about uh, rotation construction as well. And I hadn't heard rotation construction used um, uh, before that. It may be somebody else who said that first, but I thought that that was also uh, great. And so I'm just wondering, like, what are some of the major roster slash uh, rotation construction considerations that you have heading into the year? Um, are there any particular like positions or categories that you're targeting early or late? So it's interesting that you mentioned that because I had noticed that I've, it's something I've always done without actually knowing what it was called. I mean, I've been doing this for over 10 years when I'm building my pitching staff, I kind of know where my weakness is for whatever reason, whip has been always a category that, that sort of uh, deceives me. And, you know, much of that has to do with when you're streaming bad uh, two-star pitchers and, and you get whipped up a little bit. And, and, you know, if you're a little bit of a risk taker, that type of stuff happens, but you can afford to take a little bit more of that on if you have a nice base of that. Like you, for example, uh, going with a lot of uh, du uh, dueling aces or um, pocket aces, I'm sorry, early on gives you a really nice base where you might be able to take some of those chances later. And if you have a lot of strikeouts early, if a Kyle Hendricks or a Marcus Stroman, a guy under eight Ks per nine, is available in the right spot and, and you want some ratio help at that point, that's help that helps. And so what I'm always doing is I'm looking as I'm building my team, I don't want to have a bunch of guys with like bad control and lots of strikeouts and that's going to hurt my ratios and vice versa. I don't want to have too many Hendricks, Sorokas and uh, uh, you know, those type of guys and Strowman's on my team that aren't going to get me to where I need to be in strikeout. So I think roster construction, uh, rotation construction is, uh, is, is really important. Definitely. And, and um, like with that in mind, like as you build out both, both the hitting roster, um, you know, and, and you touched on a little bit about pitching, pitching, but more on the hitting side, like, do you find yourself targeting certain positions earlier on, um, like certain roto categories? This also fits in with a, with a question that we got, a listener question, which was from Brock Ness Monster. Um, and Brock's a great guy. I also met him at first at Pitch Arizona. He's my said, coworker. Yeah, nice. Is he your coworker? Yeah, it's my oh, boy. That's incredible. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, shout out Brock. We know you're listening. Um, big fan of yours. Um, uh, also, he also does like all these like um, things. Like I'm a risk adverse person in real mm -hmm. life, in addition to maybe in fantasy. And <laughs> he so like, the he's out there like doing these like biking and like mountain climbing thing. And I'm just sitting there like, 
man, I'm afraid of heights. I'd much prefer to see these pictures of you doing this on Twitter than actually doing it myself. Hence the name Brockness Monster, of course. Absolutely. Um, so his, his question was, we start out drafting the best value. Um, at which point do we switch over to roster construction? So say you get Trey Turner in the first and then a really good shortstop is available in the third. You know, do you still take them? Like at what point do you kind of focus on value? At what point are you thinking about, you know, the categories or even the positions? Because I know there's a lot of, there's no real scarcity outside of catcher, but like there is definitely difference in depth of positions. Sure. Uh, you know, I, one of the things I've never really done, I've never really gotten into were extreme strategies, uh, zero wide receiver, for example, in football, uh, or I'm sorry, zero running back when everybody was into that, that was the year when I counted running backs and, and almost won uh, the overall over an NFFC. And so to me, I don't feel comfortable if I don't sort of have that balance throughout. And that's just me. It's, it's not for everyone. Um, but I, every year the, the player pool changes in terms of what, you know, where the strengths and weaknesses are like, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, you've seen the trends in terms of roto categories, like stolen bases are going down every year. Powers going up, strikeouts are going up. Same thing position wise. You've got, uh, you know, shortstop is absolutely, it's so incredibly deep. I just wrote an article about it doing the, the positional tiers there. Like Manny Machado's the, you know, he's a third baseman, but he's eligible as shortstop. This guy was like a, a first round pick for many years. He was a second round pick last year in fantasy. And he's the 11th guy off the board. Corey Seager was a first round pick a few years ago. He's the 15th guy. Uh, Jorge Polanco is like 18th. He hit, you know, what, uh, 295 with 100 plus runs scored. Like shortstop is so deep. And then on conversely, first base is, you know, you've got your Freeman on top. And then if you got it, you got your mid-round guys. And then I see myself gravitating towards some of the later guys. I'm, I'm fine with it. I think one of the mistakes people make is they feel like they have to fill their first base slot before the corner infield or, the, you know, or, uh, you know, oh, I don't want my fourth outfielder or fifth outfielder until I make sure I fill in my second baseman. I have no problem. Uh, having my starting first baseman not be as strong, but I can hit on some value or I can stream later. I'm okay with that. And, and same thing with first base. I'm adjusting sort of every year, um, even second base, for example, there are values later on that I don't mind um, waiting on. So I'm always very mindful of my categories as I draft. Uh, I use Rotolab to, to track my draft uh, as I go for the most part, not every draft, but that's because I load in my own projections there that I work on over months, a uh, period of time, continue to tweak them. And then, um, of course, I'll always be first place in my own um, projections. If I'm not, then clearly I'm doing something <laughs> wrong. But, you know, that's how I like to do it. Yeah, definitely. No, that I, I love what you said there. That's one of the things that I'm trying to improve on because I feel like to that risk adverse piece I mentioned before, I feel like in, in previous drafts, I've really tried to be like, okay, I can't get the guy that's on even on the bench, you know, my first bench slot until I filled in every single one of these other things, other, you know, each one of the positions. And in a lot, of, a lot of times, that's where value presents itself, right? Like you see the guy drop. You mentioned Jorge Polanco. Like I was in a draft recently and he went like at pick 190 or something like that. Like he just kept falling and falling. And it's like you got to be able to take advantage of opportunities like that and not be so rigid. And also like we got that question a lot, like when Bub and I do the previews about like who's the last first baseman you'd want to take or who's the last person you feel with with, with uh, okay with as you're like, corner infielder and it's like well I think you're thinking about it wrong it's like 
it doesn't matter which player is like the worst player on your team. If you're drafting a 15 team team, you're going to have some weakness. It doesn't necessarily matter exactly where it is. As long as you recognize it, it could be at first base because there was a third baseman um, corner infield option. That was absolutely terrific. Like the value that it presented itself. And so maybe that's just the position that you're going to stream or, you know, you've got, you know, you've got a guy that you like who's going late and you want to try him out early in the season. But I really love that. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's one of the things that uh, with experience and in, in drafting over the years, sometimes your own sort of gut, I guess, or, or true instincts just sort of uh, rise to the surface. I mean, two of my uh, three online uh, championship drafts, 12 teamers uh, in NFC that I've done over the past week. I ended up with a guy that I wasn't even thinking about or considering uh, in the 28th round, Joey Votto uh, in one spot as my corner infielder. Cause everybody was pretty much gone and I didn't want to take like a Jesus Aguilar uh, batting average risk. And another one where I just grabbed him in the bench for my bench in the 29th round. It just not somebody I was planning on, not someone I'm specifically targeting, but at that point I'm sort of looking at my categories. I'm like, all right, my power's loaded. I got all these twins and Yankees and, uh, and, and it, I might have a risk in average. So maybe somebody like Votto in the right situation. Oh, let me look at, let me look at their first few weeks schedule. Um, I think that's something that's very underplayed. People aren't really thinking about or looking at like who's going to to face the Orioles in the first few weeks. Who's, you know, uh, who who's facing the Giants, for example, like, let me just throw this out there. Um, I guess I, I feel like I'm giving away a lot, but Alex Wood, for example, <laughs> I think he's going to get us Dodgers play four games against the Giants at home that first four game week, Thursday through Sunday, I'm going to pick up Alex Wood as my 30th round pick and start him against the Giants and I'll just drop him and stream him. So, you know, there's just things like that. You got to consider, think about, um, you know, the early season stuff, like, you know, is Cincinnati, are they at home for a while? They, maybe they're going to Colorado. Like maybe I can use a little bit of auto and because he's my 20th round pick, if, you know, all of a sudden Eric Tame starts blowing up for, for the nationals and, and crushing bombs. And I really like him and I need power. I can just make that switch hopefully for, for, for fab, for cheap, you know? Definitely. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things like, um, you know, I've followed you for a while and listened to you on a, a number of podcasts. And like, I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned from you is like, is, is that kind of grind, you know, of really being familiar, not just like a week in advance, but like two weeks in advance, like looking ahead at the schedule. And I feel like when you start to do that, it actually opens you up to take some of the risks that we talked about earlier. Like you don't feel as bad, not filling your fifth or fourth outfield spot because you've seen in the past how you've been able to maximize value by grabbing those guys or like it makes you okay not necessarily filling out you know your rotation exactly how you'd like to because you know that Alex Wood is going to be there for his first start and maybe you're not just looking at his first start like you know his second and third start may line up nicely as well if he gets the spot that you want him to and if you if it doesn't work out you just drop him and you got to be comfortable with that so I feel like that is just uh, incredibly sage advice and and I would just like to thank you for um kind of being the one who kind of turned me on to thinking about uh fab in that way and speaking of which i know i mentioned at the top of the show like fab is kind of one of the things throughout the industry that you're known about like your fab bids and the efficiency and what i mean by that is just like the difference between the bid that you have versus the bid that the second um highest bid has like that's how you create efficient bids you save yourself some money uh, unlike what i did in a couple of situations last year like with cole tucker like putting 250 dollar bids you know, when the second one is like 110 or something like that. Um, so 
um, you know, and, and so I'm just curious, like, what are some of those considerations? You just mentioned some of them, but like, as you head into like a fab period, um, you know, what are some of the considerations and the things that you're thinking about as you go into fab? Um, you know, how do you, how do you pull off those efficient bids? Uh, by the way, if Jake Seeley's listening, it's uh, he, he's convinced that it's fob, but we, we won't argue that. Uh, I'm, no. I'm going to call it. He's one of those. Yeah. Well, I love Jake. Yeah, him, him and uh, uh, JJ Zacharyson, I think also says fob. Well, and they use, they use sob, I think as the reason for that. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And also uh, I think I called uh, Lewis Robert, Lewis Robert on a previous podcast <laughs> because I, I never looked at it myself and Rob Silver tricked me. So. It's that French accent he has. You know? Yeah, it, it's exactly what it is. Uh, but you know what? I believe fab is, it's a, it's a, it's a skill. It's a, it's a, it's something that people, I feel like maybe don't spend a lot of time on or, you know, kind of rely on their draft too much, but it, it's, it, it's just as important as the draft. I mean, you know, I, I think I posted something a few weeks ago about where I think it is in, in terms of importance level. A lot of it has to do with uh, how your draft is. I don't think it's as linear as just, Oh, it's, 40 percent you know uh fab and and 60 percent luck as far i mean i'm sorry 40 percent fab 60 percent draft as far as your um you know what success is based on but what i want to do is i always, always want to put myself in a position coming out of the draft where i don't have major deficiencies even if like injuries hit where i don't have to bid 50 60 percent of my budget on a single player you know and if you see you've got a thousand dollar budget uh, people get very excited early on out of the gate um, one of the things, if you're drafting like me in February, there are going to be a lot better options that sort of surface in spring training that will command a lot of money as opposed to people that are drafting at the end of March. Those guys are going to actually be drafted in rounds 22 to 30, but a lot of people drafting early are going to end up spending a lot of that. Um, but the main thing I think about fab is people need to be proactive instead of reactive. Um, and usually what happens is a lot of people, the casual player are basically just sort of bidding on last week's uh, sort of flavor of the week. Um, but if maybe that flavor is like, you know, they moved up in the lineup or are playing every day suddenly because someone's on the injured list and that person's coming back and about to be activated, um, you know, or, you know, are we all of a sudden going to pay for Asher Wachowski? Um, probably another pronunciation um, bust there because of a <laughs> single great outing, you know. Like Asher in, Woj. Asher Woj, for sure, yeah. Uh, you know, 10 strikeouts against the Red Sox. And I think most fantasy players uh, sort of realize, like, uh, let me be careful here. Like, he's not going to, like, he could turn the court. He could be a new guy. But this is where, like, I, I rely on some of the people that are a little bit more analytical and, and you know, better with, like, pitching mechanics, understanding that sort of thing. You know, leverage as much as I can of sharp people to figure out, hey, is this something real? You know, like maybe something my eyes don't, don't tell me. And so the one thing I'm always careful on is not um, overpaying just because somebody had a good week. Maybe they were in cores, maybe they played Baltimore, you know, so, so many different things. I want to look ahead and, you know, a couple of weeks ahead and, and, and not overpay for the flavor of the week. Definitely. Um... And one question we got was um, was from uh, Walter McMichael at Real Thick Walter on Twitter. Um, Walter's Walter's awesome. I think he's gonna be playing in the main. I want to say in in New York City. Um, yeah. He said, uh, since Vlad is the man at Fab, how or Fob? No, I'm not gonna go there. Uh, yeah. How does he go about determining how much to bid? Does the bid amount you put on a player change league to league based on each team's need? Or does he generally stick to the same bid within a few dollars across all leagues? 
Damn, yeah, that's a really, that's a that's actually a really good question, Walter. Um, every week, every league, everything is is different and it's unique. You may have different uh, amounts on your team and only so much you can really allocate. Sometimes you look at bid history or you know how certain players bid, um, you know, and, and you and you gauge that against the importance of that player for your team based on maybe a roster hole or category. Uh, fills that you need to have or, or need to make on your team and then I'll adjust. So every team is, is, is different. Um, I, I, you know, I'll even switch up like the, 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 bid, the bidding end numbers. Cause I think that's one thing. And uh, you know, that, that I think people sometimes you, you can kind of catch when somebody is like bidding with the same, but you know, they're always bidding with an eight, they're all, you know, with a 38, 48, 88, whatever it is. And they get lazy about that and complacent. They don't switch that up. And you kind of know, you know, can kind of figure out, okay, I think I, I got this guy this week because I think he's probably going to go in the 20s. Uh, you know, I just go 31 and, and I'll probably get him. So, um, you know, sort of things like that, so many different things. But e- each league is sort of league dependent, I guess you could say. Definitely. And I think that's that's great advice, like looking at other teams' bids because that's something that I've tried to do is really – kind of divvy up like how much like yeah ending with a seven one week and ending with a three the next week and then a five and then a two and then a one you know like really trying to differentiate it and one thing that's great about the nfbc and and a lot of other leagues is like you can go back and you can look at the bid history of different players in your league and so you can actually see like maybe there's a a similar player that went for like let's say it's like the starting pitcher of the week like the two start pitcher of the of the week who's like, okay, but you know, he's obviously on the way over wire. So he's not that good. You can actually look to see the last time that that type of a player came on the market. Like what, what, what were the bids like for that guy on different teams, just to get a sense of what you might, um, you might, uh, what, what you might need to bid. So I think that's a great suggestion of just like looking for, looking for those trends that you see in kind of the fab bids as they happen. Yeah, there's a lot to, I think there's a whole thing to, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's, I guess, akin to poker where you, you know, there's certain tells that people give Mm -hmm. up and they may not even notice, but um, there's a lot of specific sort of bidding tendencies and you can really get a feel for people, especially if you're playing against them year in, year out, you kind of end up with some of the same guys in your league, then, you know, you just kind of know it. Like Heberlich, for example, we talked about earlier, like, I know that he spends all his uh, fab budget early for the most part. So if uh, there's somebody really good, I just know there's no chance uh, that I'm <laughs> totally. going to get this player. But what I always like to do is I, I like to at least put in keep it honest bids. Even if I know I'm not going to get somebody, there's always a time where, you know, like I think it was it was even um, of my seven NFC leagues last year when it was the fab of Palooza, everybody was putting in huge bids on uh, – you know, Mercado, Austin Riley, Nick, even, you know, Nikki Lopez, um, Keston Hira. Um, and I knew, I kind of figured Riley was going to be the big bat of that week. And he was going to go for $300 plus in tons of leagues. I didn't really target him that crazily, but there was one league where I just, you know, I just threw in a, you know, like a $43 bid or something. I ended up getting him. You never know what's going to happen in each league. And, and bidding gets easier towards the end of the year because, you know, the, the less people are, uh, the further people are away from the top of the standings, the more likely they are to drop out. And then you're going up and bidding against less people. Yeah, definitely. Some, some great advice there. Um, and like when, when um, we've talked a, a lot about kind of fab and like, and the grind, if you will, um, is there anything else like roster management related, like in the season, like you've got your roster, 
as you play like, you know, on a week to week basis or every, you know, four day period early in the week and then weekend, like, how are you thinking about those decisions? Are there certain tools or resources that you use in figuring out like how to maximize that value that's on your roster? Um, in general, I'm just kind of looking at the, the schedule a little bit ahead. Uh, I think one of the interesting things or um, things that one can do is is just have a feel of uh, who might be uh, reactivated or returning from injury and how that affects the overall composition of the roster, like who might be getting sent down. If I know that somebody's just coming up for, you know, for a cup of coffee and uh, is likely to get sent down, whether they hit well or not, I'm not going to put a lot of my, you know, uh, dollars and, and, and fab resources into somebody like that. Sure. They can go ahead and, and steal the job and, and, and take over. Um, that, that's always a, a case, but for the most part, I'm just, you know, kind of looking at schedules and, and, and making sure that I'm, I'm getting the most out of every dollar. And one of the things I know that I'm not great at with fab is, is, um, you know, uh, making wrong decisions in terms of players. Like I get just sort of also myself, I mean, we're all human. You get wrapped up in like, man, this guy looks so good on my team. I just got to get them. I'm just going to do it. This is going to be my one big bid. And then, you know, a lot of times, like was the case with Austin Riley, like, you know, we got a couple of, you know, what, three week, great weeks out of him and then just bust. And you, you, you've done this enough and you played enough years, you kind of almost get a feel for what's real and what's going to basically um, turn back into a pumpkin. Definitely. And I, this is the thing that I love about fantasy baseball the most is there's just so many of those little decisions, right? Like that you make about your roster, like, you've mentioned so many different things like thinking about, yeah, who's going to come off the IL and not just like who that obviously impacts the guy coming off the IL, but like, what does that mean for what the lineup looks like now and who gets pushed out or who gets put it pushed into a platoon, like thinking about things like schedules and lineups and not just like, you know, Oh, they're playing like the Orioles, but also like, Hey, you know, you've got like your two, you know, two lefties are thrown this weekend. So you got to get in like, I don't know, Jordan Luplau or whatever. Yep. You know, um, those types of things, like, I feel like are such a underappreciated, or I don't know if it's underappreciated, but that's just like what I, what I love so much about the game. And it's so easy early on in the season to get so laser focused on the draft and how you have to draft so well. And obviously you need to do your best work uh, as possible, but like, there's so many opportunities within the season to just kind of squeeze out like every little ounce of, of value that your roster has. So I think those are, are, are awesome points. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's just, it, it's not for everyone. I mean, not everybody wants to grind through, you know, six, six grueling months where, you know, your significant other is like, man, again, another Sunday that we're supposed to go out, you know, like this, this requires time and, and, uh, and effort and, and the people that, that, that really, they put in the time. I think it, it really pays off. You know, you learn from people, you, you figure out what are some of the best practices and strategies. You, you try different things, you implement them and it helps. Um, one of the good things that I love is the all-star break, man. When all-star break comes around, I'm so happy because I'm usually like, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I'm writing for the DFS site too. So I'm doing DFS articles. And if I'm writing an article then I want to make some lineups and then, you know, like, you know, family work, this and that. And then I've got my like 10 teams to manage. So, you know, I'm already like exhausted by the time like June comes around. So that little few days period off gives me a really nice recharge. I take a look at, you know, what categories I'm looking to gain in, what type of players am I bidding on? And it really helps me regroup for that stretch run, you know, down those, those remaining two and a half months of the season. Definitely. Yeah. I, I love that. It's really the fantasy, uh, fantasy sports break um, is what we'll call it from now oh, yeah. on for all of us, like uh, hardcore folks into it. Um, all right. So the next segment is um, what we call on the podcast. And by we, I mean, 
me because it's just me. Um, <laughs> it's fresh baked cookies and hard cookies. And the purpose of this is uh, number one, to make sure that everybody understands that fresh baked cookies, soft cookies are much better than hard cookies. That's the first, the number one piece, um, because there's nothing worse than going into a bakery, grabbing a really nice looking cookie, biting into it and realizing that it's a hard cookie. I hope you agree with me, Vlad. Is that I do. I actually do. Okay. I do. Yeah. Okay, good. I should have checked with you ahead of time just to make sure you were on the same page, but no, no. Yeah. We won't be getting into cookie gate. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and so, uh, fresh baked cookies are the three players that you feel like you're going to have a significant share of heading into next season because of the value you see. And so it could be late round guys, it could be early round guys, but just guys that you feel like based on where they're going right now, you feel like you'll have a lot of shares. And then your hard cookies are the three players you feel like you're not going to own because of the lack of value. And this goes along with the question that uh, reader uh, or listener extraordinaire Yancey Eaton had, which was who are some of the clear stayaways at their ADP primarily within the first 10 rounds. So we won't stick to the first 10 rounds, but who are those three players that, that you're staying away from? So let's start with the good with the fresh baked cookies, who are three players that you feel like you're going to have significant shares of in the, this season? It's impossible to just break it down on the three players. The one thing I will say, the ones that you can most figure out who you're going to have on your teams are the guys after round 20. So mm. uh, it's really hard to predict based on where you fall in KDS for that. You're going to be able to land on a top hundred overall player all the time. And so as much as I would, as I would like to put Nick Castellanos on the list, I don't, you know, it's kind of my, on, on the outskirts because I mean, you know, shoot, I'm, I like him. A lot of other people like him, the potential that he can have, uh, the break, the, the, he's already had breakout seasons in the past, but I think this could really truly be something special, but at a certain point, I don't know if I can pay for that. So if he was 120 ADP prior to the signing and now he's going in the eighties, like that's already quite the increase. If, you know, if he drops back a little bit, I'd love that. That'd be somebody I'd, I'd be on, but talking about like later round guys, um, Man, I'm a sucker for, for for Brandon Nimmo for whatever reason. I just feel like uh, him at the top of that lineup, um, you know, um, making some changes in, in his stance and um, being a high OBP guy as is a top of that lineup. I think he can do a lot of damage. He just really just needs to have a, a full year of health. And I think 2020 or 2012 or whatever is something that could be really uh, something that could work out for him. So um, is like a you know 30th round of my 12 teamers. Um, Nimmo is usually somebody that I'm looking at. Um, and then Dylan Bundy, just a feeling I've had since uh, he signed with the Angels that that things are just really going to click on a click with him. That he's going to shave off a lot of that bad ERA. People forget that he was a very very high regarded prospect in the Baltimore Orioles uh, uh, system uh, coming up. Um, never really you know came to fruition. Um, he's allowed I think the most home runs in baseball like over the last couple of years. Maybe prior to last year it was like the two years. But either way. He's just sort of been a disappointment in a lot of ways, high ratios and everything. But for some reason, I just feel like things come together for him. He'll get some luck and, you know, get some wins there. So, um, you know, there are a lot of guys uh, out there. I just don't want to put them all out there. I want people definitely to, you know, come in and, and read my stuff over the course of the year. But just throwing out three, those would be three uh, soft cookies. Awesome. Yeah, and the, uh, and the Bundy shout. It's going to be interesting where he goes come March because I was in a – uh, one of my recent drafts um, in a DC, he went like, I think around pick 250, which is about 30 spots ahead of what his min pick was before that, I think. And so I'm really going to be curious to see where, where, uh, where he ends up when all is said and done. But uh, love that shout. 
All right. What about uh, your hard cookies, your three players that you don't like their value um, heading into 2020? So it's tough because in general, I'm, I'm just kind of an optimist. and I'm always looking for having to sort of force reasons why I don't like someone or something. And, you know, um, some of my buddies in the industry always make fun of me because, um, you know, I always do my own projections. But years ago, I didn't they didn't really sort of correlate to, um, you know, sort of league averages or league minimums. And so, you know, I'd have like, you know, if they're only like on average 18 guys with hundred plus RBIs and I've got like 35 of them, you know, something, something's off there in my projection. So um, I've kind of fixed that over time. It's, it's, it's much more fine tuned, but either way, it's still kind of hard for me to be pessimistic. And a lot of it is also random. And, and sometimes it, it's just a gut feel and maybe that's where the name comes from. And, and sometimes it's right. And sometimes it's wrong. Like who knows? Like, for example, like, I don't know, for whatever reason, I just, I feel a little doom and gloom with Garrett Cole this year. I, I can't put my finger on what it is. I could be totally wrong, but, um, you know, some, when I brought it up, some people have said, yeah, well, sure, it's possible. Um, obviously, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball, but, uh, you know, new uh, new team, new division, um, you know, uh, the, the bright lights, big city. Uh, there are a lot of possibilities that it doesn't work out. What does does not work out mean? If, if he's injured and hurt for a long time, obviously, I don't wish that upon him, but, um, you know, if, if doesn't work out means he's the fifth overall pitcher, then, hey, that's really not a bad pick there um, in, the, in the first round, I guess. Uh, a couple other guys, I guess Glaber Torres is somebody that I've con- continuously mentioned. Um, and that's just on a field that I don't think that he's going to hit 38 home runs again this year. Um, I think he's a fantastic player. I think he's a stud. I think that lineup is packed and loaded. What it has to do with is the guy's in his range and how I just don't feel he fits in with them. I feel like he's better suited with, um, and even though he puts up different stats than the other top second baseman, but you know, why is he going 10 picks ahead of Ozzy Albies and 20 picks ahead of Altuve and Kesson Hero and those guys, I feel like because those other guys bring other things to the table, like batting average or stolen bases, they're kind of the same guys. And the third was uh, the third guy that really makes me, sort of introspective, it, it, this one's weird because I love Matt Olson. I'm going to place a bit, a bet in Vegas on Matt Olson to win the AL home run champ, uh, home run crown. But I'm starting to think about it like, man, if everybody loves Olson and at pick 60, 65, that's great. It's fantastic. First base is shallow, but like he's going in the forties now is unless he's going to hit for good average, which he never really does. Is he really going to be that much different than, Reese Hoskins 80 picks later, or, uh, you know, by that point, Reese Hoskins and him will probably have a 40 pick difference or Edward Encarnacion a hundred years or a hundred picks later. I understand they have a 10 year age difference, but there's a lot of sort of that comparison. And so that's my issue. I love Olsen. I have him on some teams where I got him at a good value, but if he's getting pushed up to this range where he really needs to hit his ceiling in order to earn that draft slot, then I just don't know if I can do it. Yeah, well, I'm not going to lie. You broke my heart with the Garrett Cole one, but you redeemed yourself with Glaber Torres and Matt Olson. So um, as, as somebody who has taken Garrett Cole first overall, I certainly hope you're not correct, but I, I definitely can see um, uh, how people can, uh, can uh, uh, have concerns about him. And that's um, the thing. I'm like, and, and, and pitching is just, it's, it's one of my weak spots. It's one of those things that, um, you know, they, it could that's the thing is, is Garrett Cole. There's no reason to think why he won't have another season like that. Like he's had the last couple of years. Um, he's going to face some really awful lineups. He's going to have multiple games with, you know, 12, 13 strikeouts and like two hits. So 
it's it, it that's the thing about my gut it's you know maybe right more often than wrong but there will be a lot of times it's wrong so at least in your case i hope that it's not uh, well Here. that's very kind of you i think and it's one of those things too where coming off like a, a career best season it's really hard to improve on that and so there's really only one direction to go so um totally understand it and i think with with the torres and, and olsen i love you pointed out like there's just some categories where they're contributing in power, but there are some power bats available late. So um, you definitely redeem yourself there because I'm I'm also I don't own Olsen or Torres in any of my drafts. I've had like ten or eleven drafts already, um, and so uh, it's I'm very glad to hear you say that. Sure. <laughs> um, and then lastly, we're going to go over just really quickly some mailbag questions from listeners. Um, and so the first one is a great question from at Philly Stars twenty seven. That's Bradley Newman, uh, a very good player in his own right. Uh, would you guys rather pay for saves in the draft or pay for saves with fab? I'm trying to do whatever I can to not use resources on closers. Like every year there are those guys that just pop up, you know, all of a sudden we get, you know, we get rat screwed with like a, you know, Jose Alvarado goes down or, or, or somebody good, you know, loses their job. Somebody we spent draft capital in all of a sudden you're, you're, I mean, Edwin Diaz and Blake Trinan, right? Last year, the, the the two best closers, top you know sixty overall picks. I mean, look look at what happened last year. It's it's one season. Anything can happen in a year, and at that point, there's nothing you can do. You gotta spend your fab and do what you can. But what sometimes people do is they they overspend for, you know, like remember Jacob Barnes two years ago from Milwaukee, what got like yeah. one save, and people thought he was the guy who was spending two hundred bucks on him, and then. They brought in someone else. So you got to really make sure what you're spending on. I'd rather just get a couple of guys, two or three guys in the middle round. I'll grab a couple guys in the middle rounds, you know, the Giles types and, you know, maybe a bounce back Kenley Jansen, hopefully, and then maybe take some shots at the end. I can use a couple of those later round picks to, to, you know, to, to maybe guess on who the guy might be in St. Louis or San Francisco or Seattle. And um, the one thing I think I'm going to try to do this year is, maybe in my drafts, avoid um, closers on really bad teams where, you know, I know there's something to, Hey, you know, the tigers uh, when they do win, it'll probably just be by a couple runs anyways, but either way, those opportunities are going to present themselves so much less often. Like we saw with Michael Gibbons in Baltimore last year. Um, I, I want to really avoid guys on teams that aren't going to win a lot of games. Definitely. Yeah. I feel like I'm in the same uh, spaces you I don't like paying for the top end closers but I definitely want to get um, at least like in 15 team leagues at least two to three and I think targeting kind of the middle that middle pack of guys who seems like they have you know a good hold on the job um, you, you can always say that but then you end up with Emilio Pagan right um, <laughs> they, 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 they look like they have a good uh, hold on the job at least initially like getting at least a couple of those guys and then I love the shout that you made too about like going after late speculations. So using some of those later round picks, some of your reserve picks, maybe to go after a committee that's, that's a little bit of interest, um, you know, so maybe it's like the Cardinals, it's not clear exactly who is going to be the closer, you know, and so you maybe want to speculate on a couple guys you think, you know, might be in the running for it. Then you, the season starts and you get to see where the pecking order actually is. And then you either, are dropping those guys and it gives you a couple spots to churn um, or, you know, you luck out and you end up with a guy who, who has access to some saves. So, yeah. And I was going to say, you're going to be churning spots anyways, and they're going to be guys, you know, that are injured or just, you know, just, just maybe 
Sam Hilliard starts the year in the minors and, you know, you decide you want to want to drop him. And so going after some of the taking a stab now, if you're drafting now, uh, using some of that end of the draft capital on on taking a stab, some of these guys can save you a lot of money because, uh, you know, come March, if it does turn out that Yoshi Hirano is looking amazing in spring training and Matt McGill gets hurt and, and you know, and, and Sam Tuvala is going to be the setup, man, you just know it's going to be Hirano, then uh, if he's on the free agent wire that first week, he's going to go for a lot of money and maybe you really want a closer or need a closer, you're going to spend that money. If you already have him on, on, on your roster, you know, it's that, that, the gif of the guy, you know, pointing to his <laughs> head thinking. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Um, yeah. I, I think that's, that's great. And one thing too, like, is I don't mind going after guys who have access to saves early in the season, like a Giles who's supposed to get traded because I think as the season gets later, like number one, there's fewer, like there's some teams that are just not as invested. And so they're not paying his attention as much. But then there's also guys who maybe they already have two or three closers that are solid and that's not their fabbing priority. And so when the trade deadline comes around or guys struggle, you can either speculate early on, you know, on who their backup might be, or, you know, the, the prices tend to get a little bit cheaper because folks have spent some of that fab and, and yeah. there may only be certain, certain teams that still need that closer as badly as you do. Yeah. And, you know, I've been in a lot of leagues and each league is, is it's, you know, is different in that way, but when the trading deadline hits and all those closers just sort of move around a lot of times like last year, there were a lot of resources. There were guys that you could just pick up for really cheap and, and, and get your saves boost if that's the category that you really need. So, uh, you know, unless the someone amazing, like, you know, Josh James becomes a closer because Osuna gets hurt and, you know, and he's sitting there on waivers um, and that might be a guy that's worth spending 200 bucks for because it's going to give you a lot more than just the saves. But if it's just like, you know, some guy off the street or, you know, from the seventh inning, eh, that's another story, especially if it's like a team like Tampa Bay where they're, they could get really sneaky and, and tricky on you and they don't care about your fantasy team. They just want to win games and they'll do whatever they can to do that. They'll mix up, they can have three different guys close in the course of a week. You know, those are the type of situations that you want to stay away from. You want those like tra- you know, traditional managers with who just really appreciate the, the, the closer and what he is in his role. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, Gabe Kapler is somebody you want to stay away from <laughs> his yeah. bullpen, right? Oh, for sure. Um, <laughs> um, the next two questions are very similar, um, and they're about the new three batter minimum rule. So at BK1NG818, um, his question is, with the new three batter minimum rule, how does this affect those who play in save and hold leagues? How do you approach these leagues? And then Daniel Prepas, who's also a very good NFBC player, do you think the new good three – Yeah, very good dude. Um, super, just a really nice and thoughtful guy. Um, do you think the new three batter rule will significantly help lefties like Conforto who are weaker against left-handed pitchers since managers will typically have to make a choice whether to use a left-handed pitcher, right-handed pitcher in inning. Um, so I, I know I haven't thought much about this. Um, have you spent any time thinking about this one? You know, not particularly. Um, I know that it, it's just something that I've, I've noticed and something I'd absolutely want to dig in on. And, and I don't play, unfortunately, much uh, in, in hold leagues as much as I uh, used to. You know, back in the days, loved playing with holds as a category and, you know, my, my home Yahoo leagues and other just, you know, random public leagues I would just go in and slaughter. Um, but, you know, I think obviously it, it changes this year uh, it, because it forces a manager to potentially leave someone in for, uh, for an entire inning and, and kind of takes away, I think, the volume of holds that we're going to see this year. So it might go back to 
you know, how I was playing 10 years ago, where there's just some of those guys at the top that are, have a big glut of holds, and then you're not going to see them sort of spread out. So it'll be kind of tougher to find. So I don't know. I need to spend some more time on the on on this rule in general, how it'll affect things. Um, you know, I know I think our, our, our boy Siege was uh, uh, was referencing something in terms of how this might benefit lefty closers. I haven't really you know dove into that all that much, but um, you know, it's these are interesting things to think about that I absolutely want to be doing over the next couple of weeks. Absolutely, yeah, and, and I haven't had a, cha- a chance to sink into it. So you guys are kind of. Uh, ahead of me on in thinking about that. And I think, you know, the one thing that I'd say is, is I feel like because there's the three batter minimum, like their uh, teams are going to rely on their better relief pitchers more yeah. often, right? Like if you are putting a guy in and you know that he's facing the next three guys, right? Just like you mentioned, like holds, like your kind of loogies, your lefty only guys, they're not going to be getting, you know, the same access to holds as they did before. So I definitely agree with you that those are going to go down a little bit. And then I do think that, um, you know, that that pitchers, there's going to be a lot more focus on, you know, like high leverage situations and getting your really good pitchers in in the right situations. And so it may be that there's a lot more flexibility, I guess, but in which inning, you know, the higher leverage guys are 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 coming in, you know. Um, just because, yeah, like imagine being a manager and you're like, okay, I don't trust this guy I'm about to put in. Uh-huh. It's a relatively close game. And the minute I make this decision, like I have to wait and watch him face three batters. Like, um, you know, so that'll, it'll be really interesting to see how that, how that all uh, plays out. Yeah. And, um, and another thing I was just going to say is I, I just thought about this is how much nicer it's going to be for people playing DFS who don't have to sweat like, especially East coasters sweating a, a West coast game where the manager keeps coming out to the mound and taking a guy out every, after, after every hitter, uh, it'll speed the game up in general. So I think that can really only be a good thing. Definitely. Um, should be interesting. Um, uh, I know, I believe a friend of yours, um, uh, dusty Wagner, I believe at Wagner one, three, four, five, four, horrible um, guy, horrible, horrible, horrible person. guy. We've said these other people are thoughtful and I yeah. actually don't, I don't, I haven't met dusty before, but I'm going to believe <laughs> you Vlad that he's a horrible guy. Um, yep. do you, <laughs> Oh, I look forward to meeting him in Vegas. Yeah. he's fantastic. Um, don't, don't hate me, dusty. Um, do you think you are better identifying? This is for you. Do you think you are better identifying breakout pitchers or hitters? And then a follow-up to that, what do you tend to see as your strength overall out of the two? Selecting hitters that work out and fabbing starters or selecting pitchers that work out and fabbing hitters? Super interesting question. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's uh, it's always really been the the, the hitters, um, and but it's not really by a that mark that much of a margin. The way that I sort of evaluate it is, um, I'm much more confident in my later round uh, hitter uh, hitters that I'm targeting. A lot of them end up being the guys that really um, end up smashing profit and just really you know m- making a lot on the low amount of draft capital that you spent on them. So um, for me, it's that um, pitchers are just so tilting, man, just like all over the place. Like I'll probably be in on Garrett Richards again, and he'll probably pitch like 12 innings. You know I mean? Like obviously not wishing any ill will, but there's just certain guys that, that I, you know, um, that I'm attracted to their, their pitching styles and, and just, or maybe just the name is just something about a name. I'm like, man, I really think this guy's going to be good. As silly as it sounds, a lot of it, ends up working out, but it's, um, you know, definitely a little bit of lean on the hitters over the pitchers. How about you? Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, for me, 
I draft the pocket aces because man, pitchers, <laughs> especially with today's ball, it's just like streaming pitchers is such a, uh, it just feels awful. Um, so I definitely think that the hitters, I just feel like there's more, um, I guess there's just like with pitchers, the there's so much more variance in the performance that hitters, I think, um, I would tend to feel like I fab hitters a little bit better. Um, it just takes that one, you know, really bad pitcher you fab that blows up uh, to make you never want to fab pitchers again. Um, but I, I, I would say I lean more towards um, towards hitters. But you always get lucky every once in a while. So yeah, and they're just more. It's it, they're just more inherently volatile. So that I, you know, I kind of understand your strategy. So long as your guys don't get hurt, you started off you know, Verlander Bueller, those guys are going to be what you expect them to be. They don't even have to be the top, you know, three guys. They could be top 10 pitchers and not crush you. That's going to help your team tremendously over the course of the year, allow you to, to take some chances on guys later on and, and picking up some, some dicey two-step pitchers in, in certain weeks. And the other thing is with projections, that's the way that that's actually what I wanted to mention from this mm -hmm. question in the beginning is I can project within a certain range, what a hitter's outcome might be if he's healthy in a full season, a lot better than a pitcher. Where a lot of times I look back, I'm like, wow, Trevor Bauer, I loved last year, had a 221 ERA two years ago and a 448 the following season. Like I just could not see this coming because nobody can see it coming. He didn't see it coming. So pitchers in general, more volatile and uh, tougher for most people. Definitely. Um, yeah. And I, and I feel like, you know, you mentioned those late round hitters. I mean, people focus so much on the hitters early on in drafts, but really those late round hitters are the guys who, who win you leagues. Like when you're going to get a ton of value, um, on those, on those late hitter picks. Um, this seems like a good question to end the night on. Um, so at, uh, Unicron 500, um, ask Vlad and BFC, what was the greatest draft pick you've ever had in your fantasy baseball life can be answered as best ever season you've ever owned or most amazing value drafted or both. For instance, in 2001, I drafted Lance Berkman in the 13th round of a 12 team league who you got. Oh man, this is a very tough question. I did not, um, I don't know if like just kind of off the top of my head, um, you know, I guess Johan Santana, uh, 2004, just that magical season. I know the previous year, uh, he, you know, he, he was always a, somebody, he was an amazing, he was a really good reliever the previous years. Uh, he had had a, a few, a few good starts. Um, but for the most part was, you know, pitching out of relief and, and was really, really sort of volatile, but that year I pretty much went all in on him. Uh, helped me win a lot. My, kind of my first big prize, and that's why he really um, sticks out to me and very not uh, very notable for me. But just that incredible season, the beginning of a of a great career, and also we are uh, the same age. Uh, we are just one day apart. Both of us uh, turning forty one next month. All right, um, and just for folks who have forgotten that two thousand and four season for Johan Santana, two hundred twenty eight innings pitched, a two sixty one ERA a 0.92 whip and 265 strikeouts, which is pretty incredible, especially in 2004. I would hate to see like how that lined up with the league <laughs> average strikeout rate at the time. I'm sure it was just, uh, just absolutely crushed it. Um, and so for me, I would say I'm going to go recent memory just because like last year in, um, 
in the league that did really well in the main, like I, I picked up Marcus Semyon, I think at, at pick like 220 or something like that um, in that draft. And he ended up returning, you know, like second round value pretty much um, with what he did. And so the combination of both like that, that pick working out super well and, um, uh, and, and the fact that it, it helped me out in, in probably in like my best league ever um, uh, was really, uh, I, w- I would go with him. Um, and I would love to say that I was like, oh, I really, really need Marcus Semyon. But I was kind of like, there's three shortstops going around this point into period in time, Jorge Polanco, Marcus Semyon, and Andrelton Simmons. And I think I'm going to draft like the one that's left over. So that ended up working out uh, very well for me. Hell um, yeah. Yeah. It was uh, Semyon like, it helps when you play every single game and get like 740 plate appearances or Jeez. something like that. Um, but yeah. Uh, all right. So Vlad, really, really appreciate you um, taking the time and coming off the show, uh, coming on the show. Um, just been a, a big fan of yours and you've been super helpful to me and kind of helping me establish myself within the industry and on Twitter. So really appreciate that. Um, can you let folks know where they can find you on uh, Twitter and in your writings? And then also because we love to give away free stuff, if you could share that promo again with our listeners. Yeah. So first of all, I just want to say that this is like my favorite time of the year, man. Like, like being able to sit and talk with somebody about fantasy baseball, like this is where like my, my, my true passion comes out. I love helping people. I want people to be better at this game. Sometimes I catch myself. I've always been an oversharer and over talker. And that's why sometimes something comes to my head and I'll just tweet it. I don't care. I'm always just going to kind of be myself, but uh, I love to, share fantasy information I'm not always going to get everything right um but i'm going to damn well try to get there so um people that uh, are planning to get into you know it doesn't even have to be high stakes you don't have to enter the 1700 dollars main event but there are a lot of cool games on on nfbc uh no they're not paying me to say this it's just i love the community the people there and every year we go to march and and we uh and, and we, we get together in vegas a couple hundred of us um, and live draft. And I'm very excited that you're coming this year and going to draft with us and see what that's all about. Um, I'm at Roto Gut on Twitter. And uh, my work this year for the season long baseball side is over on fantasyguru.com. We've got a um, special uh, early bird still going on, even though it's not no longer early. So it's still under 40 bucks for the season with my fab column there. Um, and then finally, elitesportsbetting.com slash free week is the uh is the is the url for uh, access for one week of uh free vip access to the betting site um over at elite make sure to use the promo code batflip gut that's it man this is this has been amazing and uh can't wait to see you in vegas definitely vlad really looking forward to it and thank you again um for coming on the podcast That is going to wrap us up for episode 120 of the Batflip Crazy podcast. Really enjoyed that uh, interview with Vlad. I think we covered a lot of ground, uh, a lot of insights um, in what he shared uh, with all of you. So hope that was helpful. Um, as always, that is the goal of the podcast to, uh, to provide a little bit of, uh, of insight and help in your uh, fantasy baseball endeavors. Next podcast will be coming to you as usual on a Monday night slash Tuesday morning. Another Benched with Bubba position preview. Bubba and I are going to be taking a look at the first half of starting pitchers uh, going by ADP. So that should be a ton of fun. 
As always, best of luck with your fantasy baseball research. Take care and be kind to one another.